This week, we'll be continuing in our journey in the book of Shemuel Aleph, or 1 Samuel. And as we dive in, we're reminded of the time of the judges, which we just got out of. It preceded this time, and it was full of angst. And there was an uneasiness in the air. The people were dissatisfied with their political figures, their economy, and the overall moral standard of the country. And we see this uneasiness bleed over and set the stage for the time of the kings. But we're going to go through in 1 Samuel, chapter 4 is where we're going to start off today. And we're going to see that it's always been God's plan to establish a kingship within Israel. However, it had to be done according to his word, according to his way, and according to his plan. And in last time we were together, we saw that the sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas caused a tremendous burden upon the people. They took more than their fair share of the offerings while their father turned a blind eye. Because of this, the people became abhorrent toward the offerings of God at the tabernacle. We also saw that Eli's sin had come for a full circle. His children had set the standard. Ungodliness leads to unrighteousness. But there was a light at the end of the tunnel to be seen. For toward the end, we saw that God had called Samuel in his sleep to be the man whom he would use to start a spiritual awakening. So it was that the word of Samuel went forth to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines in battle. They camped at Ebenezer while the Philistines camped in Aphek. The Philistines drew up in battle array to meet Israel. And when the battle was fought, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who had killed 4,000 men on the battlefield. Our text opens up today with Israel engaging the Philistines in battle. It's pretty common to the time of the judges. Remember, Samuel is the last official judge. But who were these Philistines? Throughout Scripture, they are portrayed as the mortal enemies of Israel, a constant thorn in their side. If I could say they were a pain in the backside. For those of you who know the story, turn about is fair play, and they will suffer a pain of their own in their backside later on. They're like a persistent hangnail. They seem to keep showing up at the worst of times. But where did they come from? You see, the Philistine or the Philistines in the simplest explanation, they're Europeans from the island of Crete. They're also commonly known as the Sea Peoples. Initially, they tried to conquer Egypt, but were defeated and ended up settling in southern Israel. It's there that they split into five city-states, Gaza, Gath, Ekron, Eshkelon, and Eshdod. And having established trade with Europe already, this gave them the military advantage, for it allowed them to import iron armor and weapons from Greece. They were ahead of their time. Their military was top-notch. This isn't the first time that Israel's had to deal with them. It's worth pointing out that today's modern-day Palestinians who occupy the same area are not of the lineage of the Greek Greco-Philistines from the time of Samuel. You see, in the first century, the Romans conquered the Jewish people, and wanting to add insult to injury, they renamed the land Palestine after this ancient enemy of theirs. So through the, hist so 
though the territory bore the name of the Philistines, those who dwelt there during the time of the Romans and today were, are of Arab descent. So when the people came back to the camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did Adonai bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let's fetch the Ark of the Covenant of Adonai from Shiloh, that he may come among us and deliver us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, and from there they carried the Ark of the Covenant to Adon of Adonai Sevaot, who sits above the Cherubim. Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. It's at this point we see the children of Israel say, hey, you know, we lost because we didn't have God with us. So I bet if we bring his box along, he'll be forced to come do battle for us. They were at a place, just like in the time of Judges, where they were doing what was right in their own eyes. And then the right thing in their own eyes was this thought that their religion will deliver them. You see, they had turned the tools of God into religious icons or fetishes. But let's not be too quick to point fingers at them. Because if we're not careful, we can fall into the same line of thinking. You know, I have to have my kippah. I have to have my talit. If I don't, if I don't pray five times a day, God won't hear me. If we're not careful, all these things, these tools that Adonai has given us to draw closer to him, can become idols in and of themselves. So we have to be careful, and that's a very fine line. This is called misplaced faith. When we begin trusting in the things or the formulas of God rather than the creator himself. When we have deified a system rather than the creator. You see, we can't manipulate God to conform to our will by performing a set of rituals. You know, if I just pray every single day, if I read my Bible, a chapter every day, then I'll be good. It becomes a fetish. If I don't do it, then I'm in trouble. We've got to be so careful. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying it's very beneficial. Re but don't be limited. If you're right now saying, I have to read a chapter a day, hey, maybe shoot up it to two every once in a while just to throw things out. Yeah, just shake it up a little bit. Don't let it become a, a ritual that you become so used to doing that it loses its meaning and its context within your life. You see, we worship the creator of the universe, and he can't be contained in any box, including his own ark. But that box isn't just limited to the ark of the covenant. Sometimes in our society, we might limit it to the latest book that's out there, or the hottest spiritual trend or the emotional ecstasy we feel when we're done with service. Or even, we feel often, a reversal to back to the times of the good old days. Remember when children obeyed? Nope, I don't. I don't even remember the time when I fully obeyed. I mean, we all act like children quite often. We look back, it's easy to look back on the days of old and be like, well, I already know what happened there, so I can handle that. I don't know what's coming in the future, and that kind of scares me. But what brings us to victory is trusting that he is who he says he is, and that because of that, he will deliver upon the things which he's already promised. 
That's what brings us the delivery, the deliverance. Unfortunately, in this case, the people of Israel are doing what seems to be right in their own eyes and according to their own understandings, just like it was in the time of Judges. And similarly, similarly to that time, instead of calling upon God for help, they thought of his ark as a good luck charm that would get them through. Now, when the Ark of the Covenant of Adonai entered the camp, all of Israel shouted with a great shout so that the ground resounded. And when the Philistines heard that the noise of the shout, they wondered, what's this noise of a great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? Really, what do they have to be excited for? We just slaughtered 4,000 of them. Then they realized that the Ark of Adonai had come into the camp. The Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. So they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has ever happened. You see, and within paganism, gods are stuck within boundaries, and they don't cross each other's boundaries. But here is the God of Israel can go wherever he wants and wherever he pleases. We don't know how this is going to work out for us. And this is in where we start to see that this isn't just a physical battle over territory. Similarly to today, it's a spiritual battle that's taking place. The idea that God can cross borders was mind-blowing to them at the time. And so they said, woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of this mighty God? This is the God that struck down the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, O Philistines, or else you will become enslaved to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be like men and fight. So the Philistines did fight. And Israel was defeated. They fled every man to his tent. The slaughter was very great, as 30,000 of Israel's foot soldiers fell. I think it's beneficial to point out here that emotional excitement does not mean we're following God's will. The Israelites were emotionally charged. The ark had come in amongst them. But what good was an icon of God if he wasn't with them to begin with? For we know it's his plan that this happens. Because there's certain things that were prophesied last time we were together that must take place regarding Eli's family. In this, we see that emotional excitement today, if it doesn't follow us or draw us closer to the creator during the week, it's all for show and it's hypocritical. We don't come here to get the feel-good bond. I mean, we still feel good when we come and gather together on Shabbat, but we come to worship God together because it builds us up spiritually. If the only thing that we leave this building with is, oh, I feel emotionally charged and refreshed, then as leadership, we've faulted you, and I'm sorry. That's why sometimes we have to pull the Band-Aids off that hurt, because that's what we're supposed to do. At this point, it seems as if things are bad for Israel, but they're about to get a lot worse. Moreover, the Ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Now a man of Benjamin ran from the battlefield and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dust on his head, signs of mourning. When he arrived, behold, Eli was sitting on his seat by the wayside watching, for his heart was trembling for the Ark of God. And when the man announced it to the town, the entire town cried out, when Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he asked, What's this noisy commotion? So the man rushed and came and told Eli. 
Now Eli was 98 years old and blind. So the man said to Eli, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has also been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died, and the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward from his seat besides the town gate. His neck broke, and he died, for he was old and heavy. He had judged Israel 40 years. Got to be kind of a big dude to break your neck when you fall. He was a big dude, and we know that's because of all that he had been partaking in with his sons. The un, the un, the un uh, reserved offerings that he was taking. He was, they were taking more than their fair share. Now Phineas's wife was with child and about to deliver. When she heard the report that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she was seized in pain and gave birth. As she was dying, the woman attending her said to her, Don't be afraid, for you have brought forth a son, as if to say, Hey, the lineage will continue on. You're good. You have a son. But she did not respond or take, heart, take it to heart. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been taken. Also because of Eli and her husband. Sometimes we don't realize what we have until it's been taken away. Clearly, Eli and his daughter-in-law didn't realize what they had. Eli allowed the ark to be taken. It was his job as the Kohen Gadol to stop his sons and say no. At this point, they had stepped way over a line. It wasn't, it wasn't allowed. There were certain things that needed to take place. The events following the capture of the ark show us how much it truly affected their lives. Death after death after death. The Philistines, chapter 5, took the ark of God and brought it to Ashdod. Then they brought it into the temple of Dagon, placing it beside Dagon. Dagon in Hebrew means fish. There's debate as to what this quote-unquote god little g might have looked like. Some speculate that he looked like a human. Some speculate that he was half fish on the bottom, half man on the top. It doesn't matter. That's why I don't have a picture, because I don't think we should be honoring that. But God seems to say, hey, there's a fish god here. That's kind of funny to me. He created the fish. He's like, hey, there's a fish god. So they brought the ark into the temple of Dagon, placing it beside Dagon, which is a very interesting too. So they give this ark, the God of Israel, the same honor that they do their God that they normally serve by placing him next to him, not in front of, not behind, next to. So they rose the next morning, and to everyone's surprise, Dagon had fallen onto his face on the ground before the Ark of Adonai. So they placed Dagon back in his place. But the following morning, again, Dagon had once again fallen on his face on the ground before the, before the Ark of Adonai. And the head and the hands of Dagon were cut off and sitting on the threshold. Only Dagon's trunk was left on him. So the statue falls over. And I love how the scripture doesn't say they broke off. It says Adonai, as if Adonai came down and said, hey, I'm giving you an opportunity to repent and I'm pushing over your God. It's 
you don't get it? Okay, you're going to set your God back up? Okay, now I'm going to cut off his hand and his head. Hand, the symbol of power. Head, the symbol of basically getting things done in the world. So every thought and every action they could ever do, gone. And then God gently places them on the threshold of the doorway. Unfortunately, we'll see that what these Philistines then do, because they're into worshiping fetishes, they will then worship the door, the doorpost area where those hands and that head lie. They'll, they'll come to it and then they'll kind of step over to give honor to their God that's been beheaded by a greater God, by a real true God. Verse 6, Then the hand of Adonai was heavy upon the Ashtadites, ravaging uh, ravaging and its uh, excuse me ravaging its vicinity with tumors now when the men of ashdod saw what was happening they said the ark of god of israel must not stay with us for his hand has dealt harshly against us as well as our god dagon so they sent word and gathered all the lords of the philistines and asked what will we do with the ark of the god of israel and they replied let the ark of god of israel be carried over to god so they carry the ark of the God of Israel over. So it's kind of like a parade. Now after they had carried it there, the hand of Adonai was against that city. He struck them from the youngest to the oldest so that tumors broke out on them, causing very great panic. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron, but it came about that the ark of God came to Ekron, and the Ekronites cried out saying, they brought the ark of God of Israel to kill us. So word is spreading. Tumors broke out for a second time. What's very interesting is Levi ben Gershon, or the Ralbog, comments on these tumors that struck the Philistines. And he says this, The hemorrhoids that struck Ashdod had been near the surface, but these here in Gath were internal and therefore more painful. So the first time, God pushes over the idol. The second time to that same city, he gives them hemorrhoids on the outsides of their body. The, then they move it to another city. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe we need to move it. And he says, okay, you're not getting the hint. Now you're going to get internal, internal tumors, which are way more painful because they're on the inside pushing on all the inward organs. This idea leads some translators to render this verse as tumors broke out on them internally, causing so we see things ratcheting up. They're, they're elevating and getting more and more intense. We're going to find out that the scripture is not going to tell us there's also going to be rats involved. It's going to get worse and worse. So he sent word and gathered all the lords of the Philistines and said, send the ark of God of Israel away. Let it go back to its own place so it won't kill us and our people, the people who did not die were afflicted with tumors so that the outcry of the city went up to heaven. So these tumors are bringing about death. There's a lot going on here. You see, the tables had turned on the Philistines. They started off being a pain in the rear, rear end. Now they've got their own pains that they have to suffer through. Now after the Ark of Adonai had been in the country of the Philistines for seven months, the Philistines summoned the priest and the diviners saying, what should we do with the Ark of Adonai? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. So they said, if you're going to send it back to its place, um, excuse me, if you're going to send it back to its place, uh, ooh, 
do not send it back empty, for you must return it with a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and you will learn why he has not stopped oppressing you. So for seven months, the Philistines put up with this. And we know how that goes. You know, bad things start to happen in our lives. And a lot of times, right away, we just chop it up to chance. Ah, it just happened. Everybody else was sick. You know, but God says, hey, sometimes there's a spiritual reasoning behind why bad things are happening to us. Because God takes repentance very seriously. And we must be quick to repent. For example, in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 30, it says, Repent and turn from all your transgressions, so that iniquity will not be your ruin. You don't want hemorrhoids. Repent. Proverbs 28, 13, The one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Revelation 2, verse 5, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. And do the first works, or else I'm going to come to you quickly and remove your candlestick out of its place, except you repent. Repentance is key. Yes, we all mess up. Yes, we all fall short, but we are supposed to repent and come back quickly. The quicker, the better. Verse 4, what guilt offering should we return to him, they asked. And so they said you should do five golden tumors and five golden mice. This is where we first hear about the mice. According to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for one plague was on each of you and your lords. So you will make images of your tumors and images of your mice that mar the land. So we see that the produce is being attacked as well. And you must give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will listen and lighten his hand off of you, your God and your land. But don't harden your heart as the Egyptians and Pharaoh did. When he afflicted them, that is the Israelites, didn't they send them away? Now therefore get a new cart ready, two milk cows on which there has never been a yoke. Hitch the cows to the cart and return their calves home away from them. At this point, they're setting up the scenario that if, if it was God who has brought these plagues on us, he's miraculously going to have to take this box back. Because we have two milk cows. That means they have calves. That means they're going to defend their calves to the death. They've also been, never been yoked, which means if, as soon as you put a yoke on them to drag something, they're going to kick and scream and not want to do it. They've never worked together as a team, so they're not going to go in a straight line. There's so many things stacked up against. And so they're trying to hedge their bets and say, well, if it was God, the God of Israel, then um, he'll just make this happen. But if it doesn't happen, then we know it was just happenstance, and we can keep this, this golden ark of, to ourselves. So hitch the cows to the cart and return the calves home away from them. Then take the Ark of Adonai and place it on the cart along with the golden objects in a box as a guilt offering. Send it off and watch. If it goes up by the way of its own territory to Beth Shemesh, then it was he who inflicted us this great harm. But if not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us. It just happened to us by chance. So the people followed the instructions, and as they watched the cows took the way straight toward Beth Shemesh. They kept along the same highway, lowing as they went, and turned aside neither to the right nor to the left. So the ark's been traveling around the land, but it's not come to its final resting place yet. Started in Shiloh, went to the battlefield, 
pass through the cities of the, of the Philistines. It's going to come back to Beth Shemesh. This isn't its final resting place. It's actually going to end up at Kiriath Jerim until eventually with David, it'll end up in Jerusalem as well. So it's kind of doing a little circuit here. In the midst of all the events surrounding this encounter between the Philistines and the Israelites, the important lesson, there is a, an important lesson to be learned. Unfortunately, it's a lesson that is learned by the Philistines and not by the people of Israel. Because even though God has delivered the ark back into the hands of his chosen people, they have yet to turn their hearts fully toward him. They don't know the events that took place with the Philistines yet. And this is going to be seen in their lack of reverence from the people of Beth Shemesh, who are about to be, um, a lot of them are going to die because they're going to treat the ark with irreverence. They haven't learned their lesson. They haven't repented in their heart and turned back to God. They failed to learn what I like to call the lesson of the cows. The lesson of the cows sounds kind of funny, but um, we find it in the book of Proverbs, this idea. The book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 23 through 27, and this is where we're going to close today, says this. Above everything else, guard your heart, for it is the source of life's consequences. Keep crooked speech out of your mouth. Banish deceit from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze on what lies in front of you. Level the path for your feet. Let all your ways be properly prepared. Then deviate neither right nor left, and keep your foot far from evil. So the lesson of the cows is simply this. Number one, don't deviate to the right or to the left of God's word. Maintain balance. Anytime we begin to add to or take away from the word of God, we, we can find ourselves getting in trouble. And number two, stay focused on the final goal. Don't let life's distractions, those calves, cause you to deviate. I'm not saying those calves as in children. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm saying those cows had every opportunity to not want to go. Eventually, they're going to end up being slaughtered and offered up as an offering to Adonai. But they had calves they needed to take care of. There are things that we need to take care of in our lives. But you know what? Sometimes we do need to set those things aside to go after Hashem and do what he needs us to do. You know, just as the cows were sent by the Philistines to deliver the ark, we too have been sent by our Messiah to deliver the good news of salvation through Yeshua, to the, about Yeshua to the world. So let's not deviate to the left or to the right. Let's keep our eyes focused on the final goal, on the prize of Messiah, and keep going forward. Shabbat Shalom.